This week on Iowa, we're in Muscatine County where we're discussing the first instance of an Iowa State Patrolman being murdered in the line of duty. Welcome to Iowa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValle and Allie Tulin. All right, Muscatine County this week. Have you been slash do you know where it is? I have been. Another very exciting show choir story. Amazing. Where we, uh, I think we went every single year. I was in high school and I think my sister went a couple years when she was in high school. And I think one of those times we road trip there with my parents and then headed to Chicago afterwards, which was pretty fun. Very fun. Because it borders the Mississippi River. It's actually a very pretty and pretty fun town. Nice. I also think I've driven through on my way to Chicago. I'm not sure I've Mm -hmm. ever stopped in Muscatine County, but my fun fact is that there is this actor named Eddie Chandler from Wilton, Iowa, which I know know you're not sick of my old Hollywood fun facts yet, but... Mm -hmm. Eddie is uncredited in almost every role he did, but was in huge movies from the golden age of Hollywood. So he was in, like, It Happened One Night, You Can't Take It With You, Gone With the Wind, and he always played, like, the random cop with one scene or some sort of union worker type guy. And this might be my favorite thing we've learned in doing Daiwa because my new life goal is to give Eddie the credit he deserved. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I will support you in any way possible. Thank you. <laughs> oh, okay, well, let's get to the murder. It is 1936. Franklin Roosevelt is president. The Hoover Dam, named after the only Iowan to become president, is completed. And of course, Buddy Holly, the singer, whose plane crashed in Mason City, Iowa. Check out our Sarah Gordo episode. <laughs> he was born in 1936. And the Iowan actor Eddie Chandler happened to be in 18 movies that year, and he was only credited in four. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Oh my god, 18 movies is so many movies in one year. So for a second, I thought we were in 1935, and I think he was in almost 30 movies that year and credited in like two. Oh my god, I know. that is the dream. Poor Eddie. Just being on movie sets, but not being famous. <laughs> Okay, so today we're in Muscatine, Iowa, and our story is about Orrin Pape. I gotta throw this in there. Anytime anyone's named Orrin, I think of the Parks and Rec character, who's just like the emo guy. (laughs) I was gonna say, who do you know named Orrin? I don't know anyone. (laughs) That's the only one. (laughs) Okay, but great character. (laughs) Yes. Okay, moving on. So, quick background on Oren. He had grown up in Dubuque and was part of the 1924 state championship football team. I would describe him as a tall, muscular, golden boy. Basically, my dream guy. (laughs) And it said that Oren rescued over 100 swimmers while serving as a lifeguard at Eagle Point Beach. What a guy. Tom better watch out. Oren continued playing football at the University of Iowa, but his eligibility was questioned during his junior year because he had played in a semi-professional game under an assumed name. He admitted to this and did not play his senior year. But he did go on and he graduated college and then eventually played for the Green Bay Packers, the Minneapolis Red Jackets, 
the Providence Steamrollers, the Boston <laughs> Braves, and the Staten Island Stapletons. Oren was also a part of, or I guess it's recorded that he was a part of the Packers 1930 NFL championship team. And in 1934, he left the NFL and returned to Iowa where he attended the State Police Academy at Camp Dodge in Johnston. It's also said that Oren had a nickname in football and life, and that was Nanny, but I could not find where this came from. I mean, in my mind slash fantasy it's because he has such a gentle soul and he's so caring maybe (laughs) okay so Oren graduates from the state police academy and is appointed to the newly formed iowa highway patrol later known as the iowa state patrol in august of 1935 he was one of the original 50 men to become an officer in the patrol so like we said earlier it's 1936 Specifically, it is April 28, 1936. Oren was patrolling U.S. Highway 61 in the Muscatine, Iowa area when he spots a stolen car around 5 p.m. Oren stopped the driver to investigate, but as he approaches the car, the driver, Roscoe Barton, draws his gun and orders Oren into the car, and eventually starts to drive away. When Oren thought that Barton wasn't paying attention, he reaches for Barton's gun, but Barton did notice and fires, and a bullet created a hole in Oren's abdomen, but he kept fighting. So Oren eventually wins the gun and shoots Barton in the head. With Barton now slumped over in the driver's seat, Oren managed to stop the car and walk out onto the highway. He stopped two passing vehicles and they rushed him to the hospital. When officers arrived to the scene, they pronounced Barton dead. In the stolen car, they found two 45 caliber automatic revolvers, tear gas bombs, several clips of ammunition, a package of carpet tacks, and three sets of extra license plates. Barton also had a stolen checkbook and driver's license on him. The chief of the State Bureau of Investigation, Glenn Schmidt, linked Barton to a few gas station holdups that had taken place that week. Roscoe Barton was just 23 years old and described as a slim man a little above six feet tall with light brown hair. He was on probation from a federal sentence for stealing government property. A judge suspended the sentence and paroled Barton because of his age. Davenport Chief of Police, Sam Kelly, identified Barton by his fingerprints. He had reportedly broken into the Davenport Armory in 1934, two years prior, and taken the pistols which were found in his car. A few hours before Barton fatally wounded Oren, federal officers were actually discussing revoking Barton's parole. He had been granted parole for attending a comptometer school in Davenport and left to work on his father's farm. He was listed as a highly nervous type. So back to Oren real quick. Doctors at Muscatine worked during the night to try and save Oren, but he died at 2.40 a.m. on Thursday, April 30th, two days after he was shot by Barton. This was after an operation and two attempts of blood transfusions. It was reported that Oren was conscious after the operation and was able to see and speak to his wife, Elsie Nancy Pape, and his mother, Mrs. Charles A. Pape. It's also reported that his mother, brother Vern, and friend and former Iowa football teammate John Furman were at his side when he passed. In his funeral sermon, the Reverend Mr. Lechner said that Oren, quote, gave his life for a noble cause, and we trust that it will not be in vain. It will no doubt result in bringing about better conditions and safer methods in dealing with the lawbreakers and criminals. At times, it takes a great sacrifice to arouse public sentiment sufficiently to bring about improved ways of meting out justice. 
Let every loyal citizen take notice and there is room for improvement along those lines. In metting out justice and dealing with criminals, we need to cast aside all shadow of sentimentalism and with a firm hand carry out the demands of civil righteousness. Any fool with a stolen gun can destroy a life, but only God can give a life. Let legislators take notice of the heroism of Orrin Pape and the sacrifice he made to enforce law and order. May our parole boards use utmost care whom they parole and for what reasons. Orrin was buried in his uniform in Linwood Cemetery in Dubuque. He was survived by his widow, mother Rosalie Margaret Pape, three siblings, and one half-sibling. Orrin's widow received $4,500 as compensation for Orrin being killed in action. Fred Porter, the deputy comptroller, said Orrin's widow is entitled to 60% of Orrin's salary for 300 weeks under the Workmen's Compensation Act. So we are trying to find more about what happened to Orrin's widow, and we did see in 1950 she was working for the state tax commission and living in Davenport. She was formerly employed by the state safety department, and in 1939 there is a news story that circulated around Iowa that is titled A Job to Mrs. Pape, and the story reports that Mrs. Pape went to the public safety department and said that she needed work but made no claims and exerted no pressure in connection with Oren's misfortune. However, the public safety commissioner was made aware of who she was and offered her work with renewing driver's licenses. She had been living with her parents since Oren's death, and it looks like she did eventually file for a marriage license to a Charles Winslow in 1949. Other than that, we found no other records of what happened to Elsie or Nancy Pape. Sometimes she went by Elsie, sometimes she went by Nancy, sometimes it was Elsie Nancy. In 1941, Orrin's badge, number 40, was retired. Chief Clint Knee of the patrol said, As a tribute to his memory, the number 40 will never be issued to another patrolman. Also, Chief Knee planned a memorial service every year at the anniversary of Orrin's death. He said the badge was also retired because it could be seen as a handicap to any new patrolman who would have to take the badge of a man who's been killed. The most recent news related to Orrin was in 2012 when a building on the state capitol grounds in Des Moines was named the Orrin Pape State Office Building in his honor. You can find a plaque in the entryway. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Okay, are you ready to call taps? I'm ready. Hey, Taps. How are you? How's it going? It's going. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Uh, This one, we're discussing Muscatine County, and we're talking about Orrin Pape. Okay. Easy question to begin. What's your favorite Iowa football team? I don't know if I have one. I had two two children go to Iowa and one child go to Iowa State. So I like both of them. Who's your favorite child? (laughs) Um... The one who went to Colorado. <laughs> um, so no, I kind of like both teams. What about college football in general? Do you have a favorite? Probably Iowa and Iowa State. Okay. That's so nice. You're like one of those uh, houses that have like the rocks in the garden that say like half Iowa, half Iowa House, State. house divided. House divided. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So the first question, real question is, we want to know the difference between state patrolman versus sheriff versus police officer. So we don't call them state patrolman anymore. 
are we call them state patrol officers because okay. they're women state troopers. Um, the state patrol works for the state of Iowa, has jurisdiction throughout the state of Iowa, and is mainly a traffic enforcement law enforcement agency. Although they can respond to any any other types of police emergencies, and in many times they might be the backup for sheriff's deputies or, or smaller town police officers in the more rural parts of the state. But they generally spend their time on federal highways and interstates and do traffic enforcement. Okay, but now sheriff and police officer. The county sheriff is the only elected law enforcement officer. There is a county sheriff in every county in Iowa and throughout the United States. It is the oldest law enforcement officer coming from medieval England, the sheriff, who was used to collect bills and enforce the laws in the fiefdoms in England. I only know about Omar Sharif. <laughs> well, no, this is the sheriff. So the sheriffs are elected officers, and then they appoint deputies to work with them. And in some of the larger counties in Iowa, the sheriff's departments are fairly substantial. Do you call them sheriff's deputies or what do you call the people who work for the sheriff's office? We usually call them deputies. Okay. But the, the legitimate title is a sheriff's deputy. And then police officer. Police officers are usually municipal people. In other words, they work for cities or towns. They have enforcement jurisdiction within that area. And again, police departments can be very substantial. For instance, in Nebraska, the Omaha Police Department is larger than the state patrol just because of the size of Nebraska and the size of Omaha. So you can have all the way up to the New York City Police Department that I believe has about 36,000 officers. Wow. What um, is the point of having the sheriff be elected when you have these other teams of people that aren't elected? It's mainly traditional, coming from the English common law, and is just held over in the United States. There are a few jurisdictions in the country, like Nashville and Metro Las Vegas, where the sheriff and the police department have combined, merged, and the sheriff runs, for instance, in Las Vegas, the Metropolitan Police Department of Las Vegas is run by an elected sheriff. Do you know if that is better or worse in any way? You'll hear arguments on both sides. The argument's always that a police chief would be more professional because they have to get hired based on their resumes and things of that nature. But sheriffs will tell you that they're more responsive to the public since they have to run for office every four years. Not unlike elected judges, there is some controversy about an elected sheriff because by having to run for office, they have to raise campaign money and things of that nature. And are people beholden to large campaign donors and things of that nature? That was a lot of, and that things of that nature. It's a complicated um, issue. A complicated issue. I think going back to the state patrol, you said they mostly deal with traffic issues. I think everyone really wants to know, is there a quota of speeding tickets they have to get? Um, True. I think they have to have so many contacts a day. And I a think day. that's a, Yes. And that's a combination of tickets, whether it be warnings or actual tickets or helping a stalled motorist or whatever. Most sheriff's departments and police departments don't necessarily have that. Okay. I am obviously biased in this, but like, has that proven to be helpful to have a certain number of contacts per day? It's used in, in a major way just to have job performance measures so that 
you have people out there doing their job every day. Because the state patrol doesn't necessarily handle 911 radio calls. They do some of them, but they don't get as many, obviously, as somebody like in the Chicago Police Department. The metrics they use to see if they're productive is contacts that they're using out on the road. I'm not a big believer in it because I think it enforces ticket writing and takes away the discretion from the officers or the troopers. The other side of that argument is there's obviously been a lot of study over bias in who gets tickets written to them and the enforcement measures used against that. If you enforce a quota, so to speak, that may take away some of that bias because they have to write everybody they stop. So then it doesn't become a race thing or a sex thing or something like that. No, you're a shameless fan. So I just hope that every highway patrolman is like Carl Gallagher and just wants to take down the wealthy. (laughs) The fact that you are infatuated with Carl Gallagher (laughs) is not an issue I need to deal with. (laughs) Okay, moving on, right, Allie? Yes, yeah. Uh, Do you think the judge made the right decision in granting Barton parole because of young age? I don't know if I have enough facts to say that. Granting, and I I assume he granted probation, not parole, because parole is usually given by the state parole board and it's at the end of a prison sentence. Probation is given by a judge as a judicial punishment for whatever crime that they committed. No, so he, he was like sentenced and in jail, served his time and then was granted parole. But did the judge grant the parole or the state parole board grant parole? And again, the law may have changed, might have been different back then. Now, in modern era, the state parole board, in other words, the Department of Corrections, uh, sorry, the parole. You're right. He was on probation from a federal sentence. Yes. So probation okay. is given by judge. Okay. They take many, many things into consideration. In the modern era, they get a probation report, a pre-sentence investigation by the depart- by the probation officers that help them make those decisions. But there is always a little bit of a crapshoot in every one of these cases where you just don't know what the person's going to do. Obviously, in this case, it was not a good decision, but that's hindsight. Do you see age as a reason often? It is used frequently because people believe that younger people can change and that people that are young make mistakes and they should be given a second chance. Would there have been a trial to defend Oren's action for killing Barton after he had passed? Probably not back then, and probably not in a lot of jurisdictions today. In Nebraska, there is a mandatory grand jury law that says whenever someone dies in police custody, there has to be a grand jury. Mm -hmm. Iowa does not have that law. In most cases in Iowa, jurisdictions will call in the Division of Criminal Investigation, which is a state agency part of the Department of Public Safety, just like the Iowa State Patrol, they will investigate it and the local county attorney will make a charging decision or a non-charging decision based on their investigation. Um, have you ever had a coworker die in the line of duty? Yes. Um, a couple, very tragic. A couple by fatal gunfire from bad people. A couple from self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Um, It's part of the job. And uh, this week, an Iowa State trooper was killed in the line of duty in Eastern Iowa. So it happens. It's infrequent, but it does happen. What are kind of the proceedings after that happens or what does it take for a badge to be retired? Depends on the agency. 
Um, the particular position I'm in right now, I cannot assume the number that's normally reserved for my position because the person that preceded me, uh, not right in front of me, but a few generations ago was killed in the line of duty. So they retired that number. It just depends on the agency and how they want to handle it. Police deaths and funerals have become a lot more sophisticated over the last few years. Uh, they have found out the cost, both mentally and emotionally, they have on departments. And so they tend now to have outside groups come in and help them. The, the cop survivors group and people like that that help plan the arrangements, help with the funerals, those kinds of things. Also, you know, there's a lot more mental health resources being used now when somebody dies. Good to hear. I guess, how does workers' comp work for police officers or patrol officers in general? It, no different than the general public. So a death on the job is considered a compensable injury under workers' compensation. And so they, there's a settlement by that. There's also a federal law that says um, if officers, regardless of who they work for, fed, state, or local, die in the line of duty, I think it's a $400,000 death benefit that is given uh, to the survivors. And what I've noticed lately in the last couple of deaths that I've been around, uh, the public now is beginning to give a lot of money to the families of officers or people that have been killed in the line of duty. And so that money is turned over usually to the families. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that as well. Like a lot of mm-hmm. GoFundMes. Are we headed to final thoughts on this one? I think so. What are your final thoughts, Taps? You know, another person that died tragically doing what the state hated him to do. Um, he was an interesting fellow just because of his prior athletic prowess and things of that nature. And now there's obviously uh, the Department of Public Safety's building is named after him uh, up in Des Moines. So he has been memorialized by his agency for the actions he did that day. Awesome. Nice, at least. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll chat with you soon. Goodbye. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.